Hey everybody, it's Jeff Peterson, and this is the Interstate of Music Podcast. And with me today, I've got guest Dennis Garrett. He is the owner of Dig Marketing. And uh, Dig Marketing um, has has some cool little projects going on. We're going to find out a little bit more about it. But welcome to the show, Dennis. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Um, first, before we kind of go back, go backwards a little bit, tell yeah. me right now what dig marketing is all about and what you're kind of focused on yeah um <clears throat> so currently i'm i'm doing the import and distribution of um the turkish cymbal line and um also uh, a guitar amplifier udo rosner um guitar amplifiers uh, so those are the two primary things i'm focusing on at the moment getting these things both off the ground well very very cool and uh I, clearly those are both in the music industry so i want to yes. kind of use that as a way to go all the way back to <clears throat> when when did music start to kind of be a part like a legit let's call it a legitimate part of of your life and it can be where it started to inspire you you started to play when do you when do you think it started to kind of be a little bit of of your personality um very early on you know um <laughs> you know you hear the typical stories of people banging on bots and bands and stuff and that was me um so i really got <clears throat> the bug in um it was i vividly remember this my parents had taken us down to i, I grew up in wisconsin in appleton wisconsin nice. and every year for christmas there would be a, a big parade downtown and uh this particular year they took me down and uh and in the window of henry's music which was the was the shop at the time there was a a lighted ludwig tivoli kit and i went that's what i want and that's what i want to do and it pretty much instantly hit at that moment that that's what i was so that was, no uh, I guess, so, so a little bit was a you like you like to hit things and make noise yes, then you had a yep. vision of picturing yourself behind a specific kit and that specific kit yes yeah that's that's what's <laughs> yeah. so crazy about it is like and did you were you an outgoing kid that wanted everybody to watch you or did you just want to be in your own world making at that time let's face it at that time making noise <laughs> yeah at that time you know um yeah i guess i've never been super outgoing and uh that's why um i would much prefer to be a, you know to play in the studio with friends than actually play live but yeah um yeah doing a talent show and the things you know when you're you're in eighth and ninth grade and uh you know and then winning those and you know that kind of cool stuff, you know, was really a great experience. So well, yeah, and I and it like starts to give you that confidence and it starts to put yeah. you in a position um, to be more comfortable being, I, whether it's in the spotlight or whether it's just being in front of people and, and sharing a little bit about who you are, because let's face it, it anytime we do anything, the, there is always that like fear of screwing up. And what oh, I yeah. found by talking to musicians is no matter how much a person listening or watching them isn't necessarily hearing something that they did wrong or screwed up in a song or whatever that musician hears like, Oh my gosh, the whole world just heard that mistake when in reality, it's really in your own head, but I, so it's, it's yeah. scary. It, it's scary to kind of put yourself in that position. So, I mean, I, I think people really grow 
by taking music into their life and putting themselves out there like that and expressing themselves. Is that something you kind of felt helped build a little bit of a confidence outside of music? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's quite honestly, it's, it's the thing that I do the best <laughs> in life really is, is play drums. If there was one thing that I, I think that I would be the, that I could say I'm actually better at than anything else in my life, it would be that. <laughs> so when so. you were going through uh, like high school, you know, were you thinking that you were going to be a drummer or did you have like other ideas of what you're going to do for a living or were you like, I'm not going to college cause I'm going to do music. Like what was, where was your head at? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely that I was going to be a drummer, you know, in, in, in some way or another, you know, and at that time, you know, even in high school, I was, I was gigging with bands, you know, out, uh, you know, and getting paid, which was a really interesting thing when you're 16 years old. Um, so yeah, that's all I really wanted to do was play drums. Well, and what was the, I mean, growing, growing up in Appleton, Wisconsin, I'm not going to sit here and try to fake everybody out that's listening to this across the world. Appleton, Wisconsin is not the hotbed of uh, the, the opportunities for musicians to be gigging yeah. and making a lot of money. Like, where were you playing? Like, where were, where were your gigs and, and what, did, what did that muse, uh, musical environment feel like in Appleton, Wisconsin? You know, in the 80s, you know, surprisingly, there was an enormous amount of places to play during that time between playing. We've got to go back to the 80s. I just want to put that yeah, out we're there going back for to the everybody 80s, to course. hear because the 80s was the decade period. End of story. We should still be in the 80s right now. That's the way I look at yeah, it. Yeah, for live music because it happens everywhere. And even in a town of that, you know, 60,000 people, there was some. Um, quite a few decent sized clubs and in green bay and of course milwaukee we would play in milwaukee um too so it's uh there was a fairly big circuit to to play during that time in a in a small geographic area and what was the type of music that you uh found yourself playing in the bands that you were playing in or did you were you kind of a drummer for hire or were you set to a specific band that you were like this is these are my guys no, I've pretty much played uh, with with the same band. They're the same group of people. You know, there there seemed to be a revolving group of ten of us. You know, that we're always in some band together at at some point. Um, but all you know, good friends. I did that still to this day. My best friend growing up, like he and I played in several bands together. He's um, he's a great player. <clears throat> well, good give friend. give me give a little shout out to some of the band names uh, that you had that you had back then. Oh, wow. Well, there would have been uh, Warlock, uh, Rockhaven. Um, boy, I'd have to think of some of the others. Vendetta, the, the, the Milwaukee band. <laughs> so, Wait, where, yeah. where did Warlock come from? Um, I think that came from the singer at the time who was, who was really into all this mystical stuff and everything. And uh, he was from Green Bay. Um, and he was, uh, he was kind of into that whole thing. So that was his name. And, uh, were you playing? Were you guys playing originals uh, as well as you know, kind of the covers yeah, and yeah. Stuff? It was primarily covers, but we would do like everybody else was at that time, trying to sprinkle in all of your original stuff that nobody wanted to listen to. <laughs> but we did it anyway. Do you have Do you have any tunes back then that you still like could jump behind a kit right now and play that original tune that that you're like, man, this was actually pretty good. Uh, or did they? Yeah, or were they all? 
I, I uh, no, it wasn't all terrible. It was, there, was like, there was a lot of really good players, and surprisingly, in Appleton, Wisconsin, produced a, a lot of really, really talented people. Um, so it was good stuff. Um, nothing that I think I'd, you know, to this day, sit behind the drums and re want to relearn, though. Certainly not. Um, you you brought up that that drum kit around Christmas time. There is a bar in Appleton, Wisconsin, that is Christmas all the time. What yeah, is Cleo. the name of that bar? Cleo's. Cleo's. That's what it is. It, if yeah. anybody finds themselves in Appleton, Wisconsin, in July, in December, whenever, go to Cleo's because that is an experience. I mean, nobody's dusting all of that. Uh, those Christmas ornaments hanging <laughs> in the ceiling, are they? I can't imagine that they would be. Uh, I mean, that, that it's it's it is to me. It is better than the bars that have all those uh, dollar bills signed, stapled to the ceiling. Cleo's is like, you've got to go to Cleo's. So shout out to everybody out at Cleo's. Um, fun yeah, place, yeah fun it's place a fun to little hang place. Out. Um, so as you kind of moved forward um, with like, you got to make money, right? You know, you graduate yes. high school, you're kind of moving through. What were some of those next steps for you to figure uh, out how to pay so the bills? The next step was uh, my best friend and I, Rob Olson, who I, I mentioned earlier, uh, got a job at the local music store in Appleton. So that was uh, kind of uh, what started paying, you know, uh, so we started actually making money, you know, starting part time and then eventually full time. Um, so we did that between playing and then work together at, uh, at this particular music store. Because uh, a lot of a lot of musicians, you know, try to figure out how to make music part of their life by like, going to college, studying music, be a music teacher, get into the educational side, all that kind of stuff. Was that ever like in your head that that's how you wanted to take music or was it just like, that's not me. I just, I want to play. Yeah. I just want to play. I would never have been a good educator or, you know, that's, um, so I, I just really, yeah, I wanted to play. So I never had thought about pursuing that route. How did you find yourself learning to play the drums did you did you go to lessons or yes um i was really incredibly uh, fortunate it was um my my first instructor was um if you'd seen the movie whiplash it was totally. essentially it, it was essentially that um wow. he was he was a very mean um <laughs> and um but with that uh, we won't give him a shout out then <laughs> uh, mr hager i'll give him a shout out um but he was uh, you know the thing you would learned was your rudiments and you learned them well because if you didn't you would be picking your sticks off of the floor and be you know after he threw them across the the, the room and you know and cursed at you um so I'm very fortunate that he started me off to actually learn the rudiments of playing and become a pretty skilled snare player. And then after that, I had the good fortune of um, finding um, a uh, an instructor. Her name was Audrey. Well, it still is Audrey Hendrickson. She works at Henry's or at, at uh, well, she was at Henry's. Now she's at Hyde Music, still teaching to this day. Wow. Um, my my parents saw an ad in I think the local in the newspaper or the bargain bulletin or something like that saying that they gave drum lessons so we went out to her farm and uh and that's really what got me going because um she was uh 
she was super patient and uh, she was in this great USO band in the 60s, an all female band, which, you know, at that time was pretty unheard of. And, and pretty cool. And cool. vividly remember she had two high end sonar kits that she had bought when she was in Germany. And that's what I learned on, you know, opposite of each other. And, uh, and she really taught me to play drum set and, uh, and just an incredible instructor. <clears throat> so is, is, is it fair to say, like, as you kind of became a drummer, that's when you started to really feel a passion about it versus just wanting to play, but really loving to play. Because when you have, when you start to really learn a craft, it, it really kind of does turn into something where your passion starts picking up the more you, it, it becomes part of you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, by, because by that time, when, you know, you've, you've dedicated a lot of hours of your time right. practicing where so you right. don't want to waste a lot of time. And it's, and it is fun to just keep progressing and progressing and seeing how, you know, um, so <clears throat> yeah, once I think I got, you know, a little more skilled and was able to play with a, a lot of different people because of that skill, then it really started coming together. That's awesome. So as you're moving, moving along, you're starting to, you know, obviously get to know a lot of people in the industry, different brands. Yep. When, when did you start to, cause you've worked for, who else have you worked for in the industry? So, I mean, I, I started, uh, as I said earlier with, with my best friend, Rob Olson at Billy Bob's Music in Appleton, Wisconsin, which was a really cool music store. Um, and then it closed down and, um, the, the, the first real big retail job after that was working for uh, Washington Music Center called Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center. So quick, Maryland. quick, before you move on with that, yep. why did you think Billy Bob's was such a cool music store? What made it cool to you? We were, um, for this tiny little store, and you got to remember, this is 1986, 1987 yeah. or something. We were, we were the biggest BC Rich dealer in the United States out of this store. And that was before an internet. And we were right. uh, like the biggest, yeah. the biggest Remo drum, you know, like there was these certain little things. There was, again, because there was so many players, it was really thriving. I mean, again, in the town of only 70,000 people or whatever, it's, uh, it was amazing how much gear we moved. And we always had cool stuff because the owner really kind of gave us our car to just say, okay, you guys really know what's happening now. So order what you think you is going to sell. <clears throat> so in that respect, we, we just got to buy the coolest stuff all the time. And, uh, and it was, uh, that's why it was such a great store. And is, isn't it funny that, um, you know, just personalities and just people in general, when he gave you that ability to buy what you thought was cool, that's also when people walked in, that's also what you sold because you thought exactly. it was that cool. Yeah. So your energy passed through it. So uh, props to, you know, the owner of Billy Bob's realizing that if you're going to buy something, you're also going to be the one that's selling it and wanting to sell it because you bought it for a reason. So um, there's some logic, some logic in that thinking. So that's cool. Cause, Absolutely. cause every, every store, across the country, no matter what industry it is, if it's in that kind of independent stage, kind of that boutique niche type store, they're all so different, all so unique and become their own little reasons to become a destination. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, I think there's so much personality that, you know, we've got to hold on to that as much as possible, even though, you know, e-commerce it's a thing. It's a convenience. It's a, yeah. um, it's a way of doing business. And quite honestly, it's a way we're do we do business at interstate. Um, but the reality is that we're not doing business at interstate music because we don't love 
you know, small, small little stores, you know, and, and brick and mortar stores that are doing cool things and, and being unique. I love that. I personally love that. And uh, we're doing, we're trying to do the exact same thing with our site being a little bit more boutique niche and different than just be, Hey, you can buy stuff. You know, we're really trying to be what, uh, what musicians want to see or, or be and have them feel like they're part of that. And I think that's exactly kind of why you love that store so much. Cause you felt like it, it, you felt like it was your store. Yeah. Yeah, really. We, we kind of did. We just, we felt really a part of it. Um, you know, so it, uh, yeah, that was really a, really a great way to break into retail. Oh, um, for sure. Kind of definitely. And then, was, so your, ne uh, your next steps, your next steps were, to go to Washington Music Center was um, uh, out on the out on the East Coast, which at the time was the largest music store in, in you know single location in the country. Um, huge, absolutely huge store, uh, and I spent um, almost nine years there. So you up and moved. I did up and move. Yeah. How I mean, was that easy at that time? Was it exciting or was it like scary as shit? No, it was um, it was exciting to to finally get up and get out of Wisconsin. You know, yeah, really, sure. it was uh, it was great. You know, to some place you know geographically that was totally different, culturally that was completely different. Um, and then to get thrown into to that store was really quite an immersion. You know, into retail because it was it was huge. Um, I think at that time there was again this was a single location store that had over a hundred people working at it easily. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, before internet, this is pre-internet, yeah. you know, nothing was happening yeah. yet. Um, so, uh, and that was really a great experience. <clears throat> and and what did that do to your playing? I mean, you you up and move, your old band didn't move. No, no, no. So I started playing with different people out there. Um, so it was, um, you know, similar situation, just playing regionally um, yeah. in the area and uh, good, again, good bands, good, a lot of fun. But at that time I was, you know, the retail thing, it, it, you know, it, uh, it was a great gig. So, so I spent, you know, quite a bit of time doing that because you could actually make decent money doing it. Sure. You know? so, right. uh, so, the, so quite honestly, the playing kind of took a little bit of a, of a backseat, you know, m you know, to, to me working probably more than I should have. And, uh, and so, so when did dig marketing kind of start to become like a direction, a thought, something to like to take your own like ownership and concept and ideas to, to bring brands to life? When did that start to kind of be in your head? I mean, and how long was it kind of like, man, I, I would love to do something like this. Yeah. Whether it's like, whether you're in a job or whatever, like when, when did a passion of like bringing something to life on your own kind of become this like little internal burn if you will yeah probably at the end of the retail career because you know when when you when you interface with these reps you know and yeah. you see you know during that time um you know just um that that seems like the coolest gig in the world Right. <laughs> you know, like you're just like I want. I think I should be doing that. Um, so, I, so in the late you know nineties, I would have. I already started thinking about you know how I would like to just at least be in a, a rep, and you know, um, sure. never thinking you know that I would you know be doing it myself. Typically, you start as a sub rep. You you start you know just jump into some you know decent rep game right out of retail, and you kind of leapfrog into something into it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, 
that's kind of when it started. The, the well, and, started to... and and I think I mean that what's cool about the way you kind of grew into it is a you're a drummer, okay? So that's that's fine. You're a drummer, but that doesn't mean you know every drummer can start their own marketing company slash take a brand and turn it into something. That retail experience of talking to percussionists as they're coming in, finding out that what they like, what they love, what's important, um, the differentiations between players and uh, the the different consistencies and nuances of other other brands and why they favor this brand over the over that brand. What a, a unique, almost like 17 master's degrees you were getting. <laughs> in that retail yeah. experience for you to be dig marketing with Turkish symbols. Um, and, and kind of starting with that, it's kind of a cool way. Do you feel as though you really had that baseline built because of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's just being well-rounded and, you know, and have had the good fortune of being, um, you know, worked in, in, in retail and good stores and, you know, represented, good companies, you know, like Zuljan for nearly 17 years, um, you, yeah, you kind of see everything at that point. There's not much that you haven't seen, you know, right. so you take all of the, all of the, the things that you've learned from those experiences, good and bad, and um, try to do your own thing with, so, with that. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get really basic on, on the world of symbols. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Turkish symbols, and I'm not talking about your brand Turkish symbols. I'm talking about the conversation people have about Turkish symbols as a location of fantastic manufacturing for yeah. symbols. Tell me what is this draw of symbols that is that that are Turkish symbols? just in totality, other brands, everything. Why do drummers gravitate towards symbols made in Turkey? Um, typically, you know, they, they gravitate for a couple of different reasons. A lot of which is that it's, um, you know, none of these are mass produced symbols. And, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that a mass produced symbol isn't a great symbol because of, clearly they are. Um, but uh, you know everything is is so handmade that um, you really do when you find that that voice you know that that sound it's it's going to be hard to find it anywhere else. So a lot of a lot of people really gravitate towards just the uniqueness and they're inherently dark. You know uh, Turkish symbols have never been you know um, really a, a very bright you know um, let's say even you know metal players have never really gravitated towards that sound but even though they certainly make sounds like that it's never really been kind of the the focus of the turkish sounds usually darker kind of mysterious washy smoky sounding symbols <clears throat> very cool so as as you kind of decided what you wanted to bring to the drummers out there as far as a brand you got Turkish symbols as a brand. I mean, how, how lucky was that day when you just kind of <laughs> like woke up and said, I can actually have the name Turkish symbols be what I represent and handle when everybody is going to search 
in today's <laughs> e-commerce world, yeah. Yeah. people are going to search Turkish symbols in a generic fashion <clears throat> and your stuff's going to show up because it's the brand. Like that's like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is <laughs> a, a, a great, uh, great name to have. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it because the company is, um, you know, there's always this mystery about the Turkish companies, like who works there and, you know, who, who are the artisans and who's, right. the, you know, and, um, you know, it's, and, and it runs the gamut of two people, you know, basically in a metal shed, you know, making symbols to full factories like, like Turkish, yeah. which is, um, which is an, un, you know, is an, a known name just because of, you know, it's Turkish, but um, right. yeah, it, it's the, the, the foundry is 25 years old. So um, it's, uh, it's been around. It's well established. Yeah. It's well established. Yeah. And it was, uh, and it's owned by Mehmet. Uh, there's, there's, so there's two Istanbul symbols that are, you know, companies that are really, I would say kind of the, the pioneers of bringing the Turkish stuff really aside from Zildjian, of course, you know, to the United States and, um, it was uh, two long-time friends, Agop and Manik, and uh, they started Istanbul, the symbol company, together. Um, uh, Agop had passed away, and they split up, and now there's two Istanbuls. There's Istanbul Mehmet and Istanbul Agop. <clears throat> but Mehmet owns Turkish, so it's his company. It's his, it's his side, uh, it's his, can't call it a side hustle, but it's his, uh, he wanted to kind of do it to, to, to do more experimental things. and. Cool. Um, and kind of try to establish it as a bit more of a rock and roll, you know, um, uh, entity. So that's, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to kind of continue to try to do here. And that's that that's exciting. I, now, so how long have you been like? What was the the process of? Uh, and you don't have to give me the financial details or the percentage, yeah. whatever, all that stuff. I'm not, that's not the details I'm looking for. What was that process of working with them, seeing their production capabilities and creating that strategy of what that looks like for you here in the U.S. and all that goes into it? Was was this a, a, a challenging process, a really amazing process? Like, where are you in that process as we sit right yeah. now as far as launch? So, um in, in at the last NAM show in uh, in Anaheim in 2020, um, I spent a day basically the last day that I was there just going around to all of the symbol companies, just just listening to everything that was there and everything that was represented. Um, and I kept going back to the Turkish company because not only did they um, were the symbols great sounding, but the, but the people were really uh, just got a good vibe. They were just really really good people. Um, and we didn't talk about anything there uh, about, about distribution and, and uh, went back home and I, and I had thought about it for a couple of months and um, I uh, decided to reach out to them and um, spoke to Samaya, her name is, who, who does all the export and we, we struck up a conversation. It still seemed a little funky. You know, there's always the language barrier sure. between us. So yeah, there's sure. always there's some things that were um, unknown. Um, you know, and then I had um, been talking to an old friend of mine, Kevin Packard, who uh, now works for Pearl, but he was at Ludwig for a number of years. Um, 
prior to Pearl, and that's how I got to really know him. And we had just been talking about symbols, and I said, yeah, I'm talking to this company called Turkish, and he goes, oh, have you spoke to Samaya, you know? And he said, I've known her for 20 years, they're really awesome people, and they've really logistically got it together, you know, they had, Pearl had worked with them in the past on some things, sure. you know, I think it was symbol. So that's when I just went, okay, this, I'm, I'm going to do it, and that was in March of last year, so. Well, I mean, tough, I mean, weird timing to just make a decision and then everything that we went through but yeah i, I mean it's at, at what stage are we at i mean um with turkish symbols and what it's looking like yeah. i mean you've there's so many details that go into it um we're extremely excited to to launch your product um and i know that there's a lot into making the the final decision like yep this is the timing let's do this but yeah. uh, but where where are we standing as far as when is the U.S. Uh, <laughs> real excited about you know getting Turkish symbols out in everybody's hands? Um, so we uh, we had made some changes um, to some names and fonts and different things. You know that the I details. think will, you know yeah a little bit will be a little more acceptable in the United States. Um, sure. You know, so they were, they willingly, they, they agreed to like, okay, we'll, we'll go with some of these names and we'll change these fonts and we'll change colors. We changed logos. Um, so over, since March, I had been getting product in, you know, several symbols several, and just kept listening because there's so many of them. I mean, there's, right. there's hundreds oh, yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of symbols. That, right. So I, I had been kind of going through and deciding, okay, this is what we're going to keep, you know, for the U.S. and this isn't, this isn't going to work. Um, and, and was initially just going to go with the way it was. And then, you know, at, uh, at the request of, of my friend Kevin, he's like, I think we should really, you should, you should change the font and you should, you know, do some tweets, change a couple of names. So... That's where we're at right now. We're getting all of the um, all the artworks over to them, but uh, we're just waiting on stamps and um, sure. and uh, you know uh, some other things. Um, but but fi but final stages. We're we're close. final stages now. Yeah, yeah. So we we the product is all decided. We're building a site. We're building a U.S. site um, just to, because we're not going to carry all of the models. So we want to kind of really condense it down to like this is what we're carrying in the United States. Um, so the U.S. site is uh, it's being built. Um, of course, the content has been a little bit uh, challenging just because we've changed logos. So photography right now is is you know um, is is been on you know hey, pause. The, 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 oh. wor the world's about. Oh, we have all this done. Oh, we're going to have to redo all that. <laughs> yeah, so we, so we basically started all over. Um, you know, so it's it, but I, you know, a lot of upfront, but in the long run, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a good thing. You know, so um, it's close. I'd say you know, sixty to ninety days. It looks like. Um, well, and I'll I'll tell you what, Dennis. I mean, I certainly appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the process. I appreciate the care the history behind the manufacturing and the quality behind it. And you're not just forcing this into the marketplace. You're waiting until it's what you know drummers are going to be able to stand behind, um, the consistency in brand and name and sound um, and availability, all the things that are going to be important to drummers moving forward that are going to you know, take a look at this, take a listen to this, and invest and and 
I love that you're not just forcing it into the market for your own financial yeah. purposes. And I love that the that that's part of this journey is the caring about the consistency, the quality, down to the logo, down to the naming, down to the branding, because you know the quality of the product is there. Um, but the other details are real details. And, and I can appreciate that. And I think anybody that is looking into something new, something unique, um, something that has that that vibe and that sound that they're looking for to definitely check out, you know, Turkish symbols when they launch. And when you, when you say it is, it's go time, um, <laughs> interstate music is going to be right there with you telling yeah, everybody it's go time. So Dennis, thank you so much for being part of this Great. podcast and sharing Absolutely. your story, you. your journey, everything about it. Um, and dig marketing, man. I, I mean, hashtag, I dig it, you know? <laughs> That was the intent. Yeah. Yeah, it's solid. Great. Solid stuff. So Turkish symbols, Dennis Garrett, Dig Marketing. <laughs> this is the Interstate of Music podcast. I am Jeff Peterson. Peterson out. <laughs>